0: Hey, Laura murphy here. A single tweet posted about a week ago set off a civil war inside the BBC and a weekend of chaos. It was posted by the BBC's highest-paid presenter, Gary Lineker, and in it he compared the language used by the Conservative government to announce its new punitive immigration policy to that used by Germany in the 30s. This prompted a wave of backlash from the right-wing press and Tory MPs, which pushed the BBC to remove Lineker from the airwaves, but his colleagues quickly began pulling out of their planned programs in solidarity. This high-profile row is dominating news coverage, overshadowing the government's proposed immigration laws and has raised questions about the BBC's tough impartiality rules, which places strict guidelines on their journalists. Today, our global news podcast today in focus on the tweet that broke
1: the BBC. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com newsadfree That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. He's today in Focus host, Michael Safi.
2: Archie Bland, you're the editor of First Edition, the Guardian's daily newsletter, where you've been following this issue closely. But for anyone who hasn't, take us back to exactly where this crisis for the BBC started last week.
3: Well, it started, I guess you would say, a very long way from where it's ended up. Because what this story was about in the first instance was about the government's handling of the small boats crisis. And in particular, uh, language used by Suella Braverman as she described what the government's new policy on refugees across the Channel would be.
0: This bill will mean that if you come here illegally, you will not be able... To stay, you will be detained and removed to your home country if safe, or a safe third country like Rwanda. We are committed.
3: There have been a lot of criticism of the government about that, and one prominent vessel for it was, perhaps surprisingly, the presenter of Match of the Day, Gary Lineker. Um, Lineker wrote initially, Good heavens, this is beyond awful, on Twitter, and he got what you might think is predictable pushback to that from people who support the government on social media. And it was his next tweet that really beefed things up. He said, uh, This is just an immeasurably cruel policy directed at the most vulnerable people in language that is not dissimilar to that used by Germany in the 1930s. And I'm out of order. And indeed, some people did think he was out of order. He got a lot of criticism for talking about the story in terms that some said harkened back to the Nazis. And quickly, that was a front page story uh, in the Daily Mail and the Daily Telegraph. But most notable, perhaps, was the fact that the BBC itself ran it as the first story on the 10 o'clock news.
1: Gary Lineker has said he'll continue to express his views despite being criticised by Downing Street and some Conservative MPs for making derogatory comments about the government's asylum policy.
3: That seemed to kick the story up a gear... And there were questions over the BBC's responsibility as an impartial public service broadcaster and how exactly that fits together with the role of a football broadcaster. So it it felt a bit like a storm in a teacup and a sort of a slightly strange uh, sideshow from the ultimately immeasurably more serious question of how the government is handling that policy in the first place. But it did seem by Friday morning like it was quite likely that the whole thing would be resolved with a bit of a fudge and Linica would be presenting match of the day as usual on Saturday.
2: Okay, so it's the kind of sideshow that we often see in these culture wars. We get a few front-page headlines, someone comes out with a statement and it all seems to die down. And Indeed, Lineker seemed to think that's the way it would go. Last Friday morning, he tweeted, it had been an interesting couple of days and he was happy that this ridiculously out-of-proportion story seemed to be abating. He also said he was very much looking forward to presenting Match of the Day on Saturday. That didn't happen. Archie, what happened next? Do you regret the tweet, Gary? Do you regret the tweet,
0: Gary?
3: Well, what happened next was that this blew up into not just a culture war, but a consuming story.
0: Right, Gary Lineker, St Gary Lineker, uh, according to some, he seems to think he is anyway, he is in trouble again today.
3: ...that covered every newspaper, all of the BBC's coverage, every other broadcaster's coverage... Okay.
1: Now, unless you've been under a rock somewhere, I don't know, you, you won't have missed this story. So, obviously, Gary Lineker has...
3: And became one of those kind of lightning rods for all kinds of debate, all sucked into one place. It raised the question, should celebrities steer clear of migrant issues altogether, political issues
2: that are tied up within that, or are they entitled to speak up? Well, we're joined now.
3: By and the reason that it became that is that, whereas you might have expected this fudge to happen before Match of the Day went out on Saturday. Instead, it looks like Lineker refused to back down. And Tim Davey, the director general of the BBC and the BBC's leadership more generally, appears to have felt that it wasn't therefore tenable to him to go on air this weekend until that was resolved.
2: The turmoil over the BBC's effective suspension of its highest paid presenter, Gary Lineker, has intensified in the last few hours after the presenters of some of the corporation's other football programmes pulled out.
3: I don't suppose many people expected Ian Wright and Alan Shearer to be on the front lines of the culture war, but that is what happened next. A statement came out from the BBC saying that Lineker would be stepping back, which is a curiously phrased way of describing his absence from Match of the Day that makes it sound probably like a joint decision. But it quickly became apparent through briefing from Lineker that uh, he had not agreed to this. He had been told this by the BBC. Very quickly, you had Ian Wright saying that he wouldn't be on Match of the Day the next night in solidarity. Distraction, and this I'll tell you something. If they do, BBC, get rid of Gary Lineker, I'm out. I'm gone. I'm not staying there. On his own platform, he should be able to say what he wants to say. And if the BBC thought that it could muddle its way through by bringing in other members of staff to fill the gaps, it quickly became obvious that that wasn't going to work.
0: I'll bring you some even more breaking news uh, on the programme now. That's as the boycott of BBC football programmes continues... Also-
3: uh, you had Alan Shearer, who's not exactly a political radical, um, stepping into the fray, saying he wouldn't be on either.
1: The BBC, well, Sky News understands that Mark Chapman will not present BBC Radio 5 Live Sport...
3: You had Alex Scott say that she wouldn't present football focus Um, and then all of the BBC's commentators who were supposed to work that Saturday said that they would also not be on air. So very quickly you got to this surreal situation where the BBC has the rights to the football and indeed an obligation to broadcast it in its arrangement with the Premier League but no means really of making a proper football show. So instead what you got on Saturday night was honestly one of the weirdest broadcasts I've ever seen on BBC One. It was sort of like watching a contemporary art video that you happen to have stumbled into <laughs> in a museum halfway through. It was, it was like a fever dream. You, you just had footballers running up and down the pitch and unless you were deeply expert, you had no idea who they were or why they were doing it. had no idea of the context no one to tell you what was going on and also just no sense that this was a kind of a pleasure to watch it was just an utterly functional uh, it felt like rushes from day one of a, of a movie there was no way really of of presenting it as a perfectly adequate replacement everybody knew it was a disaster and although the viewing figures went up that night it's pretty obvious that that was because this was a car crash that you couldn't help goggling at and absolutely nobody would be sticking with it in the long
1: term
2: Actually, that is, is what happened, and it was deeply, deeply weird. But what I want to understand is why. Why did this one tweet set off this chain reaction of events?
3: Yeah, well, I said at the beginning that this began as a story about the government's language around the small boats crisis. Um, but by the end of it, it has become a story about the BBC's duty to be impartial and how exactly that is sustainable in an era in which everybody is popping off on social media all the time. Uh, the division between news and the rest of the corporation and how different people in different parts of it should view that responsibility and how their status within the organisation changes that. But it's also about larger things, about the BBC's relationship to the government and how able it is to resist pressure coming from the right and coming from outside to change the
2: nature of its output in response to their complaints. Well, let's let's begin with that impartiality point. Did BBC management initially think that Lineker's tweet broke those rules? Well, they certainly did.
3: And, you know, one reason they might have thought that is that Tim Davey, the director general himself, when he came in to his role... Uh, oversaw the rewriting of the guidelines to include something called the Lineker Clause, which feels like you might expect it to apply in this case. And what that was about was about recognising that somebody like Gary Lineker, who is not just a presenter, really, but is also one of the most prominent faces of the organisation, seen across its networks, presents major public events, um, and is deeply associated with it in a way that a less well-known presenter on a kind of a late-night BBC Two show isn't should face a slightly different set of criteria about impartiality because his view, according to these rules, might be seen as more representative of where the BBC stands.
2: Yeah and we've heard the way that Lineker himself views his responsibility to be impartial. In an interview he gave on the BBC back in 2021.
0: Well, I consider myself a freelancer anyway. So, and I obviously I've worked with the BBC. I work, I've have I've worked with BT for years. I've, I'm now working with ITV. I've worked with, you know, Walkers, I've worked with I've worked with numerous people around. I'm always, I think, I try to be considerate about what it would mean to the people that have employed me at some point. I've never had any phone calls from...
2: But the basic principle here is that a news journalist at the BBC can't go around giving political opinions, but there's more leeway if you're like a science or a sports presenter, unless you're a big deal like Gary Lineker, where the BBC argues you're so influential that any opinion you express out loud does carry the risk of impacting the BBC's reputation. That's right, but
3: that analysis doesn't operate in a vacuum and there has been a lot of confusion over these rules over the last few days, partly because all of this is ultimately quite subjective. You know, there are things which will be viewed as political opinions by some and simply an expression of a deeply held belief by others and telling the difference between those things is quite complicated. So I think one of the things that this set out is is that it's not maybe simply a question of the guidelines and the letter of the law here. It's also a question about the fundamental basis of those guidelines and
2: whether they are fit for purpose. Mm -hmm. So that's one part of this, but this is kind of a double-headed scandal in some ways. I I feel like we would not have seen the uproar we've seen if this was just a somewhat narrow debate about BBC social media guidelines. So what else is going on here?
3: Well, that's completely right. And and the thing that makes this particularly acute as a subject right now, and why it has become such a big story, is that while the initial basis of it was the theory that the BBC has some kind of irreducible, progressive, liberal bias, and, and it's hopelessly to the left on everything, a lot of people say that actually, when you look at the BBC's leadership, the opposite is true. So, for one thing, you have the chairman of the BBC, Richard Sharp, as has been well documented in the last few days, facing serious questions over what kind of role he played in securing an £800,000 loan for Boris Johnson when he was prime minister, something which he didn't declare to the select committee looking at the question of his appointment. You then have Robbie Gibb, a member of the BBC board who used to be director of communications for Theresa May, who has made it his role, according to some reports in recent days, to let it be known that he's keeping an eye on BBC News staff for evidence of left-wing bias and was indeed himself involved in the setting up of GB News. And there are various other people at the top of the organisation who have real questions about their own politics and whether they interact with their ability to properly defend the BBC and be good stewards of its future if that creates a clash with the government.
2: So it became a question not just about the impartiality of BBC presenters and BBC journalists, but actually the impartiality of the people running the whole corporation and whether they were willing to step up and defend it in a time of need.
3: Yeah, and I think it creates this other sense that, you know, historically the thing about the BBC has always been that The people who work for it are loyal to the bbc above everything else and whatever their politics going in there has been although this obviously is not always perfectly observed a sense that they leave them at the door and and they are bbc people before they are anything else but it has felt different recently it has felt a bit like somebody like richard sharp who is a long-standing very close ally of rishi sunak and a major donor to the conservative party is in a different position to somebody like Greg Dyke, who was the BBC's director general in the early 2000s and was a long-standing Labour supporter but wound up leaving because of a clash with the Labour government. It, It feels as if there is maybe, for some critics, a view that the top of the BBC is there to try to bring it to heel. Now, that would be strongly denied by people like Davey, who would certainly say that they are loyal to the BBC before they're loyal to anything else. But I thought one of the most... Acute things that Tim Davey got asked in an interview on the BBC itself over the weekend was, what would you have done if Gary Lineker had tweeted something in support of the government?
0: He would be taking an opinion. Would you have removed him from the
3: air? I'm not going to go through... But, but
0: it's about I, I'm not
3: it's gonna going to go business. through all the hypotheticals of the past. What I'm going to... But it's about what, what I was And he refused to answer that question. But I think most observers, and just the evidence of your own eyes, suggest that this is really a response to concerted government pressure and not a kind of a purely academic, legalistic interpretation of the rules without any political context around them.
2: BBC crises in past years have usually ended pretty badly for the person in the top job, whether it was the Jimmy Savile scandal or going further back, the inquiry into its handling of reporting the Iraq war. You've talked about Tim Davey. As of yesterday morning, this crisis appeared to have been resolved. How did he do it and will it be enough for him to keep his job?
3: Well, first of all, I think it's not clear that this crisis has been resolved for good. But Davey did at least manage to kick the can down the road a bit yesterday when he brokered a deal, which means that Gary Lineker will return to match the day next Saturday and we won't have to sit through another dismal 20 minutes like uh, this weekend, thank God. Um, So when you look at the language around this from Davey and from Lineker... It's, it sort of feels like people who've just negotiated a Middle East peace accord. I mean, it, it it's like the kind of carefulness around it and the sense that this has been brokered to within an inch of its life um, really makes clear what the stakes are here. So Davy, in his statement, recognised that this has been a very difficult period for staff, contributors, presenters, and most importantly, he said, our audiences, and he apologised for it. He then said the potential confusion caused by the grey areas of the BBC's social media guidance that was introduced in 2020 is recognised. And he says that he wants to get the thing resolved and he wants Lineker back on the air. So that's what's going to happen. But it does leave open the question of how those um, social media guidelines will come down in the end. And if you wanted an immediate sense of um, how difficult this still is and is going to be, It came yesterday morning when the BBC's live blog was reporting that Gary Lineker had agreed to abide by the existing social media guidelines. And meanwhile, Gary Lineker was saying on Twitter, however difficult the last few days have been, it simply doesn't compare to having to flee your home from persecution or war to seek refuge in a land far away. Now, in the current political climate, there would be some people who would view that as a political statement. And so, although I think it's very unlikely that anything is going to take him off the air this week, it does suggest that this issue is very far from finished. So, Davy's problems aren't over. I don't think that his resignation is imminently likely, but I think he's got a long way to go before he has this thing resolved and behind him.
2: Mm. Because, I mean, as you said, he's kicked the can down the road, but the bind here hasn't changed. He has to find a way to live up to this concept of impartiality in a world where so much of our lives and thoughts are now broadcast out loud on the internet where everyone can read them. Is that standard even possible to uphold? Well, you know, no. (laughs) My basic response
3: to that is that nobody can seriously expect that in an era of social media, every single senior BBC presenter is going to consistently abide by its rules on impartiality and never step out of line. Now, you might have a view about the responsibility of people in the news part of the organisation, and that is pretty thoroughly adhered to, and it is taken very seriously and it broadly works because people know that it's central to their job. But if you start telling wildlife presenters like Chris Packham or business presenters like Alan Sugar that they can't have opinions because of their freelance role with the BBC, they're just not going to take you that seriously. You aren't going to fix that problem through more precisely set out social media guidelines. That doesn't mean that the social media guidelines at the moment are adequate. And I do think the BBC will be in a better place if it has a simpler and clearer set of rules. But it is also just to say that, actually, almost all the time, probably these issues are going to be resolved through some sort of fudge and muddling through. And also, I think, for this kind of thing to work, there has to be some sort of assumption of good faith and that the people involved in it aren't all secret political actors trying to smuggle their opinions into the BBC One schedule, but are just trying their best to exist in the world as it is in 2023 and also have a role on a public service broadcaster.
2: Coming up, why are footballers so often becoming the voice of opposition to this government? Archie, watching this play out, it makes me think that so many controversies lately centre on football and footballers, whether it's Marcus Rashford single-handedly managing to save free school meals during the pandemic, Lineker and other footballers voicing criticism of Qatar in the lead-up to the World Cup, when the British government itself was largely silent, and now Lineker as the face of public opposition to the government's small boats policy. Is it weird that football and footballers are playing this kind of role when it should fall to the political opposition, to the Labour Party?
3: It's extremely weird and it's not a coincidence. I mean, I think there are two different things going on at the same time here. One is that football has become inextricably political in a way that probably wasn't as apparent 10 or 15 years ago. Whether you're talking about the World Cup in Qatar, the ownership of Manchester City or Newcastle United... Um, footballers taking a knee in protests at racism before Premier League games. All of that is part and parcel of the game now. And meanwhile, footballers have become more confident in expressing their opinions. And the whole infrastructure around the game has come to expect that. But there is another part to this. And I think it's a really important part of the context of why Lineker's words struck a nerve. And that is that it was clearer what he thought of the small boats policy than it was what the Labour Party did, who largely responded to Suella Bravman's announcement last week with quite a managerialist critique. The Prime Minister says they will detain people who aren't eligible to claim asylum here and then return them. Well, they already tried
2: that under the last legislation. Last year, 18,000 people were deemed ineligible to apply for asylum That's the easy bit, the talk.
3: But as for the action, Prime Minister, how many of them have actually been returned? But didn't say in emphatic and clear terms why it was wrong. And that is something that has been a characteristic of Labour under Keir Starmer, according to many of the party's critics. And that creates a space for someone like Lineker to step into. And I think it's also worth noting that Starmer and Labour responded much more clearly to the question of Gary Lineker's future on Match of the Day than they did to the small boats crisis itself. And that, I think, tells its own story.
2: Mm. Archie, we expect that come this Saturday, Lineker will be back on, on Match of the Day. GB News will be well outside the football business where they belong. At what we hope is the end of this controversy for now, where do you think it leaves the BBC? Well, it leaves the BBC kind of where it always is, which is
3: at the very centre of what the UK thinks about itself, at the centre of very live debates in politics and in all sorts of parts of our national life, and also both incredibly important and incredibly vexed. Uh, There's this ad which um, most people have seen on the BBC.
2: We're on air in five, four...
3: BBC One. Which is just a really rousing case for its importance as a universal public broadcaster. The BBC has something for everyone. For everyone. everyone. And it features clips of lots of different people in the BBC talking on programmes about things that are then cut together to make a a case for why it's important. And it finishes with the sentence... The BBC. is something that belongs to all of us. The BBC is something that belongs to all of us. The problem of the route at the moment is that by trying to demonstrate their commitment to that idea, the BBC's leadership has actually done something quite different. And it's revealed, one, that it has very senior presenters who strongly dislike the government, and two, that it has very senior leadership people who face questions of their own over their loyalties to the Conservative Party. So instead of looking like a unified and impartial organisation, it will look to a lot of people like a set of factions fighting over where they think the BBC should stand. And even if Lineker is going back on match of the day now, that is probably the worst of all possible worlds for the BBC.
2: Archie, thanks so much.
3: Thank you, Mike.
0: That was Archie Bland speaking with Today in Focus host Michael Safi. This episode was produced by Alex Atak, Tom Glasser, and sound design by Rudy Zagardlo. The executive producer of Today in Focus is Phil Maynard. We'll be back with a regular episode of
1: Full Story tomorrow. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts?